Today, we are sort of changing pace into a new term uh, past the summer. And right at the heartbeat of this series is a quote from a guy hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago called Augustine, that our hearts are restless until they rest in you. I don't know about you, but looking around our society, there is one thing that so many of us are longing for. It is hope. And whatever we think that hope rests in, we're longing for hope. And this series that we begin today of five weeks, we've simply called Could It Be Hope? And hopefully on your way in, you'll have been given one of these booklets. If you haven't got one, do grab one on the way out. These are booklets with some questions and some thoughts to help you process either in your life group or community group or on your own, in your family, amongst friends, whatever it may be over the next few weeks. If you want to take one, please feel free to do so. Uh, last year, you'll know we produced these booklets, and at the end, we did a bit of a survey, and 94% of people who answered that survey said they would be keen for these to carry on being produced and would be willing to make a voluntary contribution of a couple of pounds. So if you think this is valuable and you'd be happy to make a voluntary contribution at the welcome point on the way out, you'll see a little pot. You can feel free to put something in, but you don't have to. It's only if you'd like to. That is no problems at all. So as we begin, I don't know how you're feeling about Brexit. I'm not going to go there, really, but let me just begin with a couple of jokes. <laughs> Why does Britain like tea so much? Because tea leaves. <laughs> and then the other one, which I really like. An Englishman, a Scotsman, and an Irishman walk into a bar. The Englishman wants to go, so they all have to leave. Boom, boom. Today, we're not thinking about Brexit. But what we are thinking about is culture. I wonder if you've ever had that experience of being in a different sort of culture where you've made what could be deemed as a social faux pas. I was a few years ago in a country where I met a guy who was standing there and I was introduced to a variety of different people. And I met this number of people, great. And the last guy shook my hand, great, nice to meet you. And then as we shook hands, he carried on shaking. And then as the shake stopped, he didn't let go of my hand. Anyone been in those positions? Where for the next two minutes, this guy that I'd never met before, handshake, stood by me holding hands. And the little Englishman in me was started, this is nice, welcomes me. And after a while, about 30 seconds in, you think, how do I get out of this? What do I do? Is this wrong? I'm guessing there are many of us here that have been in cultural situations where we have made a blunder that we didn't know was a blunder. One of the things I love about living in Birmingham is the cultural diversity in our city. I was looking at some stats about our city. Birmingham is the most diverse city in the UK. 40% of Birmingham are under age 25. 30% are under 20. The average age of Birmingham is 35 years old. There are 108 different languages spoken in Birmingham. Don't know if you class Brummy as a language, I don't know. Uh, Birmingham will be the second city in the UK that is majority non-white. Some point in the next couple of years, that will be the case. Leicester's the first city. In addition to that, 31% of Birmingham are what's classed as not economically active, 
which is 10% higher than the UK average. So Birmingham is a diverse community, which is one of the things that so many of us love about the city we are living in. But have you ever asked, how on earth can such a diverse community get on together? A little while ago as a church, we, we thought about this statement, that how as a church, we long to be a church that reflects and transforms Birmingham because people belong to thriving communities in which they get to know Jesus. That reflecting our city, that Birmingham would look different because the Riverside would look different because we're in Birmingham than if we were in Grimsby or in Liverpool or wherever the city you choose to name. That we want to reflect our city, the diversity and the vibrancy within it. Oh, Nathaniel did some research this week. For us here at Riverside, here is some heritage that we think is within the community of Riverside. We've got people who either were born or grew up in Germany, Yemen, Ghana, Pakistan, Canada, India, Nigeria, Macau, Hong Kong, Libya, Zambia, China, USA, Jamaica, South Africa, Egypt, Malaysia, Bolivia, Cambodia, Malawi, and Walsall. We long to be a church that reflects our city, but how is that possible? How on earth can we get along in a culture and society in which so many of us are focused on me and my world? How can we be a community that reflects our city? Henri Nouwen famously said this, community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. And so many of us struggle in our society with community because we think community is community in which everybody is like me. Dare I say that community, real community, is where everybody isn't like you. That's biblical community. And right at the heart of the earliest church, it was a group of people who came from massively different cultural backgrounds. But they came together as one community, one family, one home. Which reminds all of us that if you feel like you don't fit in here, you are in really good company. As we'll see. And to help us this morning, we are going to look at that letter to Philemon that read so incredibly well. In this story, in this letter, we've got three main characters. They're introduced right at the beginning, just here they are. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. The main characters, firstly, Paul, who's with Timothy. Paul, we know if we've been around church for a while, but what you may not know is that Paul came from a really zealous, strict religious background in which he was set out to eliminate the church, and yet he met Jesus that flipped his whole world upside down. From a strict, zealous, orthodox, kind of pharisaical background, he became a Jesus follower who was intent on telling the message of Jesus to the whole planet. And here he is where? In prison the lowest of the low, almost, the scum of the earth, in prison, probably in Ephesus. 
And then we meet somebody else. Who's he writing the letter to? To Philemon, our dear friend, or Philemon, however you want to pronounce it, our dear friend and fellow worker, and to Aphia, that's probably his wife, our sister, and Archippus, probably the pastor of the church that meets in their home. So Paul, Philemon. Philemon clearly is quite wealthy. Because in the early days, not many people had the sort of houses that a church could meet in. Only the wealthy elites. And Philemon lives in a place called Colossae, one of the kind of uber cool, trendy places of the era. In other words, Philemon represents the cultural elites. So you've got Paul, a Jewish zealot, transformed to a follower of Jesus. You've got Philemon, the wealthy landed elites. And then there's another person in this story, a guy called Onesimus. Onesimus, it's clear from the story, was a slave of Philemon, who ran away, probably stealing from Philemon, and ends up probably in Ephesus, where Paul is probably in prison. There's lots of probabilities, as you'll see. And through meeting Paul, Onesimus, which means useful. We don't even know his real name. We know his nickname because slaves in those days weren't known by their names. They were known by the name that was given to them. You are useful. I'm going to name you useful. He meets Jesus through Paul. And in this letter, we've got an amazing account where Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. And we read these words. It's none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you because he ran away stealing, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. That's the story. Paul's writing a simple, heartfelt letter to Philemon. Please have Onesimus back. So we've got this group of three. If ever there's a group of people who don't fit together, it's a group like this. You've got strict religious people, you've got landed gentry, the elite, and you've got slaves who weren't even in the Roman world regarded as people, persona non grata. No rights, let alone runaway slaves. If you're associated with them, boy, you were in for a sticky time if you were caught. How is this possible? This culturally diverse group. Well, it won't surprise you that Paul makes it pretty clear how it's possible. He begins and ends his letter with these words. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the very end, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The more we discover God's grace in our lives, the more it has an impact on how we treat people different from us. If we really understand God's grace, it changes how we treat people who are culturally different. Let me illustrate. Have you ever had a feeling of being in a place where you don't fit in? Just put your hands up if you've ever had a feeling of feeling as though you're, you don't fit in here for whatever reason. This happened to me a couple of years ago. I had the huge privilege of going to Parliament. It was open at the time. <clears throat> a little cultural joke again. Anyway, uh, but if ever there's a place where you feel you don't fit in, it's there. Just to prove it was there, here's a chocolate eclair on a parliament plate. 
But what happened, I was, uh, I was invited to a meeting. It sounds very impressive, but there were loads of people there. But then afterwards, after this meeting happened, the people I was with invited me to kind of go through where everyone else was into the bar where all the MPs and everyone sat. And so there I was in this bar, and there was Diane Abbott over there. There was Yvette Cooper just sat next to, on the table next to us, and I was really enjoying it. But do you know what was going through my mind? Every time somebody looked at me, I thought to myself, they know. <laughs> they know. And of course, what happens when you're in that place where you're convinced you don't fit in, you shouldn't really be here, every time someone looks at you, you think they know, and therefore what happens is you start acting really awkwardly. <laughs> and so then when the waiter comes and asks you for a drink, you bumble because you don't, can I pay for this? Should I pay for it? I don't know what happens. And there you end up in this massive tears because you think everyone knows you don't fit in. Anyone had that experience? I'm sure you have. This is what happens. We see and hear something. People looking at me. And because I think they know, I tell myself a story about what is true. That story is, Tim, you're in Parliament, your suit looks wrong, you're out of place. They know. As a result, you start to feel a hot sweat, slightly nervous. As a result, it reflects in your actions. We do this time and time and time again in every situation. So you may be in work, and a colleague of yours says something that you think is about you. You hear it through a story you've told yourself that they're better than me and the boss prefers them to me. As a result, you suddenly feel awful that this person's out to get you, and therefore every time you then relate to that person, every time you get an email, every time you have a meeting, you are filtering through this lens. We do it all the time. It's all because of the story we tell ourselves. It may be to do with your gender, it may be to do with your racial background, it may be to do with your age, your education, whatever it may be. We tell ourselves a story. And here in the early church, we've got the reality that grace tells a different story. Whatever your story about your world and your life and your background is, grace completely rips that up and tells a different story. Let me explain how it does it. Firstly, Jesus is bigger than cultural barriers. We saw the cultural mix there. But these aren't just people who tolerate each other. Listen to the words that are used in this letter. Dear friend, fellow worker, sister, brother, fellow soldier, partner, my son, my very heart, very dear to me but dearer to you. These are not toleration words. These are words of deep, resounding affection. Why? Because grace tells a different story. I don't know if you know, the letter of Philemon is quite a controversial bit of the Bible. In the early 1800s, in the height of the slave trade, slave traders wrote or edited a Bible. It's called the Slave Bible. And what they did was they produced the slave to quotes educate, uh, produced a Bible to quotes educate the slaves. But of course, what did they do? 
They had to rip out quite a lot of the Bible, including the letter of Philemon. Why? Because they didn't, of course, want slaves getting the wrong idea about their station in life. This book of Philemon and other passages like the Exodus and so many other places had to be ripped out because they reveal how God sees every single one of us and they reveal how we're called to relate to others. Huge chunks of the Bible. And so look at how Paul describes their relationship. Perhaps the reason he was separated you, perhaps the reason Onesimus ran away as a slave stealing from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. But listen to these words. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the law. Can I say in the early Roman world, this was impossible? Slaves, let alone runaway slaves, were not even regarded as people. And yet here's Paul, that because of grace, you are now brothers. Because grace tells a different story. So friends, if you feel you don't fit in because of your background, because of your education, because of your racial heritage, whatever it might be, whatever the story is, grace tells a very, very different story. That's why Paul writes in Galatians, another bit that was ripped out of the slave Bible, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You don't fit in? None of us do. You're in good company because grace tells a different story. I love this quote from Leslie Newbigin. Leslie Newbigin was an English bishop who went over to India as a missionary and then came back and saw how Britain had changed and wrote these words. The local congregation stands in the wider community, not primarily as the promoter of programs for social change, although it will be that, but primarily as itself the foretaste of a different social order. We long to be a church that reflects our city so that as people look at us and say, wow, that's the kind of community I want to be part of. That's unity in diversity. That's a group of people that don't fit together, but boy, they're together because of the grace of God. So, can I say to you, if you are somebody that feels you don't fit in here at Riverside, you're in really good company. None of us do. If you're here for the first time and there's something going on, you know it. You've got this idea that God is doing something, that whether you even know who he is, but you know something is happening. And you're not sure. You look around right now and you think, boy, some of these people seem to have it all together. A, trust me, they don't. But B... That's the point. Grace tells a different story. If you come from a different cultural background, we long for our, our church family to more and more reflect the city we live in. You do fit in, friends. And if you really feel you don't, that's why we need you. So Jesus is bigger than our cultural differences, but also do you see something else so clearly? Jesus is bigger than our past. We've told the story of their past, but look again at what Paul says. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. 
If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I'll pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I love that little bit at the end. By the way, don't forget. (laughs) That's the point. That in the early church, this fledgling group of really ragtail bunch of people could only get on because they knew that the grace was telling a different story, that you had a mixture of runaway slaves, you had a mixture of people who were caught up in the law, you had a mixture of people who were treating people so badly, and yet together Jesus was changing them. In a previous church, we had a guy who was part of our congregation who had done time in prison for murder. I used to love sitting next to him in church. Do you know why? Pretty much most Sundays, there would be tears in his eyes because he knew here was a place that grace told a different story, whether or not he could get a job in society, whether or not society accepted him. Friends, if you haven't heard it already, if you feel like you don't fit in, you are in really, really good company. None of us do. And that's why when Jesus Christ died on that cross, nailing all our past to that tree, it made it possible that cultural barriers and walls of hostility between people could be laid down as well. Why? Because when I look at, therefore, somebody, I am no better or worse than them. They're simply fellow brothers and sisters in need of amazing grace. There's a church that I know that every Sunday they begin with these words as we come to a close. These are the opening words of their service. To all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a savior, this church opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus Christ, the ally of his enemies, the defender of the guilty, the justifier of the inexcusable, the friend of sinners. Welcome. May we be the church that models hope to a society that's so often tribal, of a bunch of people who own our sin, recognizing we need a savior, and therefore we walk hand in hand as brothers and sisters. We're going to turn to communion. It seems the only right response, doesn't it? Because communion round the table is this act of unity together, but ultimately recognizing hope only as possible in Jesus, where our past is wiped clean, And even our background and our cultural heritage, Jesus is able to unite. So if you don't feel you fit in, please assure me you do. Please let me assure you you do. Because grace tells a different story.